You are, of course, listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. Stay tuned now for The Jazz Show with Gavin Walker, coming right up right now. Thank you. 
We would like to welcome you to the jazz show on CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And before I introduce myself, I would uh, like to tell you that this show is sponsored by the TD Vancouver International Jazz Festival, one of the biggest cultural events in Vancouver. And it's taking place June the 20th until July 1st, 2014. My name's Gavin Walker, and I'm your host here, as I usually am every Monday night. And we have uh, lots of music to play for you, and including some of the artists uh, in this year's Jazz Festival. And uh, it was wonderful last week, and uh, we hope that uh, you managed to listen to... Uh, all of the show, or some of it, last week with my uh, guest, the redoubtable media director for the Vancouver International Jazz Festival and the media director for the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, Mr. John Orsick. And, uh, of course, um, John is uh, all over the place. You'll, you'll see him on TV, you'll, see him, you'll hear him on other radio programs, and uh, because uh, that's what he does and tells you about... Uh, the Jazz Festival. We're going to tell you about the jazz show this evening. Our jazz feature artist is, I think, uh, even though he's considered one of the true giants of the tenor saxophone, I think he's been shamefully overlooked in the last uh, few years. And he really um, brought the tenor saxophone to the forefront and made it into, a, of course, one of the most popular instruments in jazz music. And he was 17 years old, all of 17, when he recorded one of the most famous of all tenor saxophone solos, and that has been duplicated by so many people and used um, in all kinds of music, uh, serious jazz music, rock and roll, you name it. I'm talking about Illinois Jaquette, Jean-Baptiste Illinois Jaquette, who was born in Broussard, Louisiana, and raised in Texas. Um, Illinois Jaquette, at 17, recorded, uh, was playing with Lionel Hampton's band, and recorded a tune that Hampton had written and an arrangement and played a solo on it. The tune was called Flyin' Home. And that saxophone solo has been the most duplicated, copied, and uh, has been so influential throughout the whole history of jazz music. And uh, Illinois Jaquette was on the map by that time. And... We're going to present um, on the jazz feature. I don't want to go into a long preamble about Jaquette's long, long career in jazz music. But this is, I think, one of his finest albums that we're going to present on the jazz feature shortly after 11 o'clock. The album has always been a favorite of mine. It's called Swings the Thing. And, of course, it presents uh, Jaquette, who was kind of had one foot in the swing era and one foot in the modern era. He was kind of a transitional player, 
and this album sort of reflects that. And it's just great playing by everybody. It's an all-star band that includes Roy Eldridge on trumpet and a wonderful pianist, uh, no relation to Hank Jones, but this man, his name is Jimmy Jones, and he was one of the most uh, sought-after accompanists in jazz. Ray Brown is the bassist, uh, Herb Ellis is on guitar, and Papa Joe Jones, who is no relation to anybody except himself, on drums. And uh, this is just a delightful album. And the only criticism I have of this album is that it's too damn short. It only goes on for 35 minutes. But the music is superb. So I hope you can uh, come around. If you have to leave, come back for the jazz feature shortly after 11 o'clock. Swings the Thing by Monsieur Illinois Jacquette. You know, um, people that have known me for a long time know that I'm not a fan of, and never have been, a fan of uh, fusion music. Um, I found, uh, I have my reasons for that. I I, I liked the direction, um, I liked the way it started. Uh, The way it really started with uh, the innovations of Miles Davis in a silent way, bitches brew, etc., etc. And then all the people that had worked or were associated with Miles went out and formed their own bands and uh, created this more kind of spacey um, music that wasn't based on the usual blues and jazz standards. They incorporated, in some cases, electronic instruments, um, used them artistically and tastefully. And the beginnings of of what was called fusion, even though a lot of jazz fans, uh, traditional jazz fans, rejected it. The beginning, for me, of fusion was a very wonderful artistic endeavor. And, of course, all this happened in the late 60s and early 70s. And I'm talking about bands like um, Chick Corea's band, Return to Forever, or Herbie Hancock's band, the Mwandishi band that he had, um, and... Of course, one of the most prominent of all fusion bands and most important of all was Weather Report. Their early recordings were just so incredible. And that was what was happening in in jazz music. And and not only was the music kind of spacey, but it was incorporating uh, elements from other musics, world music music from Brazil, music from Africa. Jazz has always absorbed influences from other musics. Dizzy Gillespie did it in the in the mid 40s bringing in the the whole Afro-Cuban thing to to jazz music. Uh, it was even done in the 30s where classical elements were brought into jazz and and incorporated and yet it still retained jazz. The, my objection with fusion was that it gradually moved into too much of uh, rock and roll era, and somehow the jazz got left behind, and um, that uh, that didn't happen in all bands, but uh, some of it became very, very commercialized and was really not really jazz at all. It was it may have been instrumental pop music. However, that's a whole other story, and that can be argued for a long time and discussed uh, over a panel. We're just going to play you some music. Now, this album is something that, uh, or I'm going to play you two quite long tracks to open the show from an album by 
Erto Moriera, who was a, a, a percussionist, a great percussionist who worked with Miles Davis, who also worked with Chick Corea. And this is his own album. And uh, the album is called Free. And I hadn't listened to it. I must admit, I had this album in my collection. I loved it when I first bought it, and I haven't listened to it in about 20 years. And I put it on last week, and I thought, wow, this music is just is so good. And especially the two tracks that I'm going to present to you, I thought, this is wonderful. This is like a refreshing breeze. Um, so it... it, it Kind of, uh, for me, it was a rejuvenation. I remembered how I first enjoyed the album, and then I put it aside. And and revisiting that album, I thought, this would be perfect for the show, especially now that we're into quite nice weather. So, the people involved here, um, Erto Mariera is on percussion. Uh, We hear him on vocal effects. He's here with his wife as well on the first track, and she's the wonderful singer. She she only does, uh, it's only a wordless vocal. She's in the ensemble, but you can hear her voice, and his wife is Flora Purim. They're both from Brazil. They were both uh, recent emigres to the U.S. from Brazil. On alto and bass flute, is the wonderful Joe Farrell, the late, great Joe Farrell. On piano, electric piano, and I think he's, he was the best exponent of uh, electric piano. He's one of the few, along with Joe Zavano, that was, is instantly identifiable on electric piano, Chick Corea. On, there's two bass players on here. Stanley Clark is playing electric bass, and Ron Carter is playing acoustic bass. And then there is a brass section, and they're used to kind of augment the, um, the whole piece of music and expand it. Uh, there's no solos, but there's a bunch of trumpets and trombones. And um, the brass arrangements for this is by a gentleman named Don Sebeski for both tunes. So that's the personnel on the first tune. And the first tune, of course, is Chick Corea's great a piece of music called Return to Forever. The second tune is basically got the same personnel, and it was a tune written by Flora Purim, uh, Erto's wife, but it features uh, a couple of different people. Basically the same band, but Hubert Laws is added on flute and solos on this piece, and also um, Keith Jarrett on piano who is, uh, uh, plays beautifully on it. Uh, that's about the only change. Oh, and Jay Berliner is added on guitar. And uh, the electric bass is dropped. It's only Ron Carter on bass. And, the, and the, the piece of music is kind of, it almost has a Middle Eastern flavor, and it's called Flora's Song. But you'll hear a lot of Brazilian uh, influence in this music, of course, because the leader is Ertomer Moreira, a Brazilian. He, it's going to reflect his heritage. And also, uh, Chick Corea, of course, is from uh, a Spanish background, too. So all of that's connected. Anyway, two, two pieces of music. The first piece is called Return to Forever, and the second piece featuring uh, Keith Jarrett's piano, is called Flora's Song. Hope you enjoy our opening 
music this evening. From the album Free by Erto Moriera. Thank you. 
Opening the show this evening, two pieces from an album that came out on CTI Records, led by the Brazilian percussionist Erto Moreira, and featuring uh, Mr. Moreira on percussion, vocal, and uh, he also played wooden flute, and of course a whole variety of these percussion instruments. The first tune featured the wordless um, vocal of his wife, Flora Purim, who was also from Brazil, and Jill Farrell on flute, alto flute, and bass flute, and uh, soprano saxophone, Chick Corea on electric piano, two bass players, Stanley Clark on electric bass, Ron Carter on acoustic bass, plus um, a brass section made up of... uh, four trumpets and um, a bunch of three trombones and the arrangement uh, the arrangement the brass arrangements on both of those pieces were by Don Sebesky and they were sort of added to fill out the ensemble and the first tune was Chick Corea's um, great melody Return to Forever it wasn't long after that he formed a band called Return to Forever, and of course they recorded some uh, classic uh, things under his leadership. The second piece of music features basically the same personnel, um, except Hubert Laws was added on flute, and Chick Corea's electric piano was replaced by Keith Jarrett's acoustic piano, and uh, also Jay Berliner was added on guitar, and the electric bass was dropped. It was only uh, acoustic bass played by Ron Carter, of course. And the second piece of music was written by um, Erto Moriera's wife, Flora Purim, and called simply Flora's Song. And I like that piece, too, because it has sort of a Middle Eastern flavor, and yet it retains that, uh, that Brazilian feel that uh, both of those pieces had. So I hope you enjoyed that music, a little different opening for The Jazz Show. And it's an album that, uh, as I said, I hadn't listened to it for for 20 years and, and, and put it on and uh, was just delighted by those two tracks. The whole album is great, as a matter of fact, but these two tracks are the sort of um, piece de resistance on the album. And... Uh, really what I bought the album for. So I thought I would share it with you, and I hope you enjoyed that music. We're going next to a vocalist who will be featured at the Jazz Festival. She's always been, um, she's not your, uh, she can do standard tunes and all that uh, all that sort of stuff, but um, on here, uh, she again um, is doing a wordless vocal, much like Flora Purim did on that uh, first piece of music we played. I'm talking about uh, a British lady by the name of Norma Winstone. And uh, I met Norma back in the 80s at the Edmonton Jazz Festival when she was performing with a band that we're going to hear called Azimuth. And it was simply the band uh, included uh, Norma on vocals, her husband, or her, or her then-husband, then John Taylor on piano, one of the finest pianists in the world, period. Um, he's, he's also an Englishman. And Kenny Wheeler on trumpet. 
Just those three made up a band called Azimuth, not to be confused with, uh, there's a Latin American band called Azimuth. That's a whole different bag. This was uh, their band, and so it really consisted of only those three people, uh, Norma Winstone, uh, um, John Taylor, her husband, her then-husband, and Kenny Wheeler. And added for this performance is a wonderful guitar player who spent many, many years in Seattle and um, a gentleman who is a very serious musician and an incredible musician. Ralph Towner is brought in as guest on, on this piece of music. And, of course, he fits like a glove because the concept is right up his alley. This is a piece of music written by John Taylor, and it's dedicated to the longest day of the year. Mind you, you might have another connotation to this piece of music as well. It's simply called The Longest Day. So whatever that means to you, this piece will mean to you too. So here then is Norma Winstone, John Taylor, and Kenny Wheeler on vocal, piano, and trumpet, plus Ralph Towner on acoustic 12-string guitar, The Longest Day.
Thank you very much. And thank you, Norma Winstone with uh, Azimuth. And that was uh, recorded uh, back a number of years ago in Edmonton. I was at that concert. And um, later on, I had the privilege of um, interviewing both uh, Norma and, uh, and Kenny Wheeler and John Taylor as well. And it was uh, it was kind of fun. Kenny Wheeler uh, was was so, was so shy. <laughs> we had, we had to practically drag the words out of him uh, in, during the interview, but because uh, um, he's a very shy, reticent man, and uh, uh, it was it was quite funny. But uh, the concert was really beautiful with those uh, with those three people, and then Ralph Towner, uh, the guitarist, added on several tunes, including. Uh, including this one, uh, was a uh, composition of uh, John Taylor's called The Longest Day. And uh, that band, as I said, was called Azimuth. Norma Winstone on vocals, her then-husband, John Taylor, on piano and the composer of that piece, and Kenny Wheeler on trumpet, and guest artist Ralph Towner on 12-string acoustic guitar. Now, Norma Winstone is coming to Vancouver to the Jazz Festival, as John Orsick mentioned last week. She'll be at Performance Works with uh, a couple of other musicians. And it's always very special because uh, she's a, a very unique and adventurous vocalist and um, sounds very much the same as she did on this uh, particular piece, which was recorded uh, quite a few years ago. So I hope you enjoyed that um, segment of The Jazz Show. just like to tell you that uh, The Jazz Show is sponsored by the TD International Jazz Festival. It's uh, our sponsor for the entire month of uh, June, and we're very proud of that. My name is Gavin Walker, and of course we're here at CITR FM 101.9 on your dial or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And right after a couple of important messages, we'll be back with some music by the one and only Charlie Parker from an extremely important recording session that he did. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world. And guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits, of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources.
Mm-hmm. Well, we uh, have some news about the weather. It's uh, really been great lately. Uh, tonight, is um, a few clouds are expected to roll in with a possibility overnight of a 30% chance of a shower. Hmm. Um, but that's, uh, that's a pretty low chance, 30%. Anyhow, it was uh, quite a beautiful evening this evening, and I didn't see too many clouds in the sky, but apparently that's going to happen. The temperature is going to go down to 13. Tomorrow, um, they're calling for cloudy in the morning with, again, a 30% chance of a shower and then clearing up completely in the afternoon with uh, a low of 13, high of 20. Then Wednesday's pretty nice, a mix of sun and cloud with a low of 12 and a high of 19. Thursday is cloudy with a 30% chance of a shower with a low of 13, high of 19. Friday, showers with a low of 12 and a high of 17. Then Saturday is merely cloudy with a low of 11 and a high of 18. And Sunday, cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower with a low of 12 and a high of 19. So I think there's a little bit of uh, precipitation in the uh, in the forecast. But, uh, well, of course, we're, we're going to have to live through it and find out exactly. And then we can uh, we can take notes and say, was that guy correct or was he, uh, you know, full of it or whatever? Anyway, that's the official forecast. Charlie Parker. Now, those of you that are familiar with one of the foremost and most important musicians of the 20th century was saxophonist Charlie Parker. Through his concepts, uh, jazz music was virtually revolutionized. And, uh, of course, his influence is far and wide, and um, anybody that studies jazz music, whether in school or learns it from records and so on, you can't get past Charlie Parker. You have to listen to Charlie Parker and his important contributions, and especially if you're a saxophone player, because he set a standard that uh, very, very few people can, uh, could reach. Charlie Parker had a, as we all know, had a, a pretty tempestuous life. Anybody who's read his biography uh, knows about his uh, his addictions and all this sort of stuff, and uh, and his early death. He was he was only thirty four when he uh, when he passed away from a seizure. And uh, interestingly enough, Charlie Parker had come out to the West Coast. Um, with Dizzy Gillespie, their band, uh, because they had a band together, Dizzy Gillespie and Charlie Parker came out. And um, after their engagement, uh, which was fairly long, ended in Los Angeles, uh, Charlie Parker uh, decided to uh, sell his plane ticket uh, for money, uh, for drugs, and uh, stayed and, of course, then tried to make his way on the Los Angeles scene. Now, there were lots of problems. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of details, but what happened was that Charlie Parker ended up having a nervous breakdown uh, completely and was sent to Camarillo State Hospital for rehab, where he stayed. He cleaned up completely, um, played football, got himself into physical shape, uh, shook off all his addictions, and uh, emerged from his six-month stay in the hospital a healthy man. Unfortunately, the rehab didn't 
last very long. And it wasn't very long after that he was back on drugs again. He recorded one uh, famous recording session after his release, and it, apparently that's the only session where he was, he was totally straight on. Uh, no drugs. Uh, anyway, that session was complete, and um, his next session, before he left, his next and last session in Los Angeles before he went back to New York, is the one we're going to listen to now. And there were a lot of high expectations from this particular session. Uh, Bird had promised the producer, um, Ross Russell, who ran the record company that Bird was signed to, uh, that he, w- he would uh, come in and record four brand new tunes. And um, he had already arranged for an all-star band of some of the finest jazz musicians in the Los Angeles area. Um, while Bird fulfilled one part of that uh, promise, he got the band together. And uh, I'll tell you all the people in the band, but he only recorded one original tune because he hadn't written anything for the gig. And he wrote this tune on the way to the recording session in the back of a taxi cab and scribbled it down and brought it to the recording session, laid it on the guys, and it took them almost the whole time to get uh, several acceptable takes of this tune uh, that he wrote. And this is going to be the first tune that we hear on this session. He wrote nothing else. Fortunately, Howard McGee, the trumpet player, brought along three or four originals, and they were recorded by Parker and crew and completed the session. And they're, they're, they're perfect. They're beautiful tunes. But Charlie Parker's tune is something else. It's just a blues in C, but it's more than just a blues in C. Incidentally, Parker arrived, of course, uh, all disheveled in the taxi cab uh, with this piece of scrap paper and his horn and uh, entered the recording studio in in a bad mood, um, of course. And um, it, But he relaxed in the studio and eventually everything, everything came down. But all the musicians knew that Charlie Parker had reverted to his old habits. And uh, that saddened everybody. But the music is superb. So with that in mind... Here is, uh, we open with the first tune, the tune that he scribbled down and recorded, and it took the guys almost all day to record this tune. It's called Simply Relaxing at the Camarillo, and it was dedicated to the hospital where he had his stay. Um, And then the three other tunes that were recorded were by trumpeter Howard McGee. We go to, uh, the second tune is called Cheers. The third tune is called Carvin' the Bird. And the final tune is called Stupendous. The people involved here, and talk about an all-star band, Howard McGee, as I mentioned, on trumpet, the great Wardell Gray on tenor saxophone, and one of the, one of the geniuses of the piano, Dodo Marmorosa. On guitar, Barney Kessel. On bass, a gentleman who taught Charles Mingus the bass, the great Red Calendar. And on drums, one of the great 
big band drummers. You could hear he was just fine in a small group, too. He was with Woody Herman's band, Don Lamond, on drums. And uh, all this took place on a Wednesday, the 26th of February, 1947. So we open with Charlie's immortal original, Relaxin' at the Camarillo. Here we go. Thank you. 
Well, after they recorded that tune, Charlie Parker turned to the band and said, Fellas, next time I lay my hair down next is going to be in the Big Apple. And he bade goodbye to Hollywood and uh, the traumatic experience he had been through in that city in Los Angeles. Hollywood, whatever. It was... um, We heard four tunes from his uh, second recording session after his release from the Camarillo State Hospital, after his uh, uh, well-publicized nervous breakdown. The first tune, of course, was dedicated to that hospital, and it was called Relaxin' at the Camarillo, and it was the only Parker original uh, brought to the date. He had promised (laughs) four, but only brought this one, and he, uh, he had scribbled the... Um, the melody line out in the taxi ride over to the recording studio that very day. And, of course, um, (laughs) it was a challenge to everybody in the recording studio because they'd never heard anything quite like it. And uh, the people involved were uh, definitely an all-star band from uh, the Los Angeles area that Charlie Parker put together. So we heard Mr. Parker on alto saxophone, Howard McGee on trumpet, Wardell Gray, tenor saxophone, Doro Marmorosa, Michael Marmorosa on piano, Dodo was his nickname, uh, Barney Kessel on guitar, Red Callender on bass, and Don Lamond on drums. And as I said, the first tune was called Relaxing at the Camarillo. The second, uh, or the next three tunes were written by trumpeter Howard McGee. And it's a good thing he brought along some charts. Uh, the second tune was called Cheers. Tune number three was called Carvin' the Bird. And the final tune was called Stupendous. And, uh... That was it for that uh, legendary recording session, which took place February 26, 1947. Next time you heard Charlie Parker, it was in New York City. We're going to continue with a couple of oddball pieces. Uh, It's not often we hear jazz played on the banjo. Of course, uh, there is a virtuoso player out there, um, Bella Fleck who, of course, his music, he plays great jazz, he plays uh, uh, folk music, he plays all kinds of stuff. But this was done many, many years before. This was by a famous uh, jazz guitarist by the name of Chuck Wayne, and he did several albums. Chuck Wayne should be much better known. He's a superb uh, jazz guitarist and and was around at the uh, very beginnings of modern jazz. And, and played with Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and all those people. But uh, um, Chuck Wayne later on went into the recording studios and worked as a studio musician for many years as well and wrote some great tunes. But an, a hobby instrument of his was a six-string banjo. And he liked to play that every once in a while on, um, on gigs and he pulled it out on, on these two tunes on a very fine album, very hard-to-get album, uh, called Tapestry, which came out on a small uh, subsidiary of Atlantic Records. Uh, the, uh, the, the record label is called Focus. And um, so we're going to hear two tunes by Chuck Wayne playing the six-string banjo. 
along with Ernie Furtado on bass and Jimmy Campbell on drums, who were part of a regular band that he had together. This was recorded in 1963. And the first tune is uh, the traditional tune, usually heard around Christmas time, but it's quite delightful. And it's uh, Chuck Wayne's banjo version of Green Sleeves. And the second tune is uh, a tune that's become a jazz standard, written by Bronislaw Caper and Ned Washington. Of course, the tune is on Green Dolphin Street. So we're going to hear these two tunes by Chuck Wayne on the six-string banjo beginning with green sleeves. Thank you. 
was Chuck Wayne, one of the great guitarists, but you didn't hear him on guitar. You heard him on the six-string banjo and uh, a couple of uh, pieces with his uh, working band of the time, uh, comprising of uh, Ernie Furtado on bass and a drummer I've always liked, uh, not a very well-known drummer, but a great one, uh, Jimmy Campbell. And uh, this was recorded for uh, uh, the Focus label in 1963. And uh, from a fine album called Tapestry, which features mostly guitar, but two tracks that we heard um, on uh, the six-string banjo. The first uh, piece of music was, of course, the traditional Green Sleeves, and the second tune was on Green Dolphin Street. And uh, we'll dig more into that album some other time and listen to uh, some of the fine guitar tracks on there as well. But uh, I just thought I'd uh, I'd put that in as a nice contrast. We're so used to hearing guitar and not very used to hearing uh, jazz played on the banjo. So I um, thought I'd give you a taste of that. Next on tap, we're going to go back in history to... Um, my goodness, 1941, July 3rd, 1941, and uh, two recordings by a small group that involved all the members of the Duke Ellington Orchestra of the time, and these recordings are considered some of the finest jazz recordings in the history of the music and some of the finest recordings of 
um, Duke Ellington's. Now, he, he did so much with his big band and so on, but these small group recordings were unique in the um, legacy of Duke Ellington. And what he did was assign a leader to uh, bring in some original works and uh, and lead the orchestra. Um, of course, he was part of the orchestra, and he would throw in suggestions, naturally. Um, and uh, this music is so perfect and so wonderful. We're going to hear uh, two um, sessions in there, um, everything that was recorded. All recorded on the same day with all the same guys, but uh, under two different leaders. The first four tunes are under the leadership of coronetist Rex Stewart, who was a, a big member of, uh, an important member of the Ellington Orchestra. And he leads the band on the um, first four selections. And uh, these are uh, compositions by um, Rex Stewart. And the people involved in the orchestra, uh, of course, uh, Rex Stewart on cornet, um, Johnny Hodges, on alto saxophone. Um, Cootie Williams is the second trumpeter. Uh, Lawrence Brown on trombone. And Harry Carney, of course, on baritone saxophone. So a, a sort of mini orchestra. Uh, Duke Ellington, of course, is on piano. The great Jimmy Blanton on bass. And Sonny Greer on drums, Mr. Empire State. The reason they call him that is because he was so tall and uh, so that was his nickname, Sonny Greer, drummer. And uh, the second set of four tunes, um, Johnny Hodges, the alto saxophonist, leads the band in the second four tunes. And we hear some Hodges compositions as well as some Ellington compositions as well. And um, that's what's going on. So first we'll hear Rex Stewart and the way uh, he led the band. We open with a tune called Some Saturday, written by Rex. Another one is a Duke Ellington composition called Subtle Slough, and then dedicated to the emperor of Ethiopia at the time, Haile Selassie, who was alive and well. His name was, uh, his African name was Menelik, and he was known as the Lion of Judah. And that's the name of this composition. It's called Menelik, the Lion of Judah, is composition number three. And composition number four is dedicated to a departed member of the Ellington band, um, Bubber Miley, one of the great growl trumpeters. And the tune is called Poor Bubber. The... Oh, yes, I forgot to mention, um, with all the personnel uh, on the first tune, Ben Webster is also in there on tenor saxophone. Ooh, uh, can't, can't leave him out. Okay, then the second session is led by Johnny Hodges, the great alto saxophonist, and uh, it features um, Ray Nance on trumpet taking uh, Cootie Williams' place, and we hear... Uh, Johnny Hodge's composition called Squatty Roo, then um, a Billy Strayhorn piece of music called Passion Flower, and then a tune that was written by 
Duke Ellington's son, Mercer, a great blues called Things Ain't What They Used to Be, and then a Johnny Hodges composition called Going Out the Back Way. So eight compositions in all. The first four are led by Rex Stewart, and the second four led by Johnny Hodges. Once again, the personnel in the orchestra, Rex Stewart on cornet, um, Lawrence Brown on trombone, Ben Webster on tenor saxophone, Harry Carney on baritone saxophone, uh, Duke Ellington on piano, Jimmy Blanton on bass, and Sonny Greer on drums. And then the same personnel, except that uh, uh, a slight change, uh, um, Rex Stewart is out. He's replaced by Ray Nance on trumpet, and the band is led by Johnny Hodges. So I hope you have got all that straight. It was all recorded the same day in 1941 in Hollywood, July 3rd, 1941. So here's some classic Ellington-flavored music.
recorded over 70 years ago. This music is, stands as uh, some of the finest music ever recorded in jazz. The Ellington Small Bands, led by various members of the um, Ellington uh, Band uh, during that time. And we heard two sessions. Uh, Duke assigned uh, Johnny Hodges one, and he assigned um, coronetist Rex Stewart one. And we heard uh, the Rex Stewart Ensemble first, and a wonderful um, piece of music, or four pieces of music, uh, by Mr. Stewart and company. And the people involved there were, of course, uh, Rex Stewart on cornet, um, Ben Webster on tenor saxophone, Lawrence Brown on trombone, Harry Carney on baritone saxophone, Duke Ellington at the piano, Jimmy Blanton on bass, and Sonny Greer on drums. And the pieces of music we heard, we um, opened with Rex Stewart's composition called Some Saturday, and then a Duke Ellington composition called Subtle Slew. Then uh, two more Rex Stewart compositions. Um, the third one was dedicated to Haile Selassie, who was still alive at that time, the emperor of Ethiopia, and uh, his African name is Menelik, and it was called Menelik, the Lion of Judah. And the final tune of that set was another Stuart composition dedicated to a departed uh, soul from the Ellington Orchestra, Bubber Miley, and it was called Poor Bubber. featured a great uh, tenor saxophone solo by Ben Webster. Then we moved to... Um, the second band under the leadership of Johnny Hodges. And it was the same personnel, except uh, Ben Webster was not playing uh, on that one, and uh, Rex Stewart's place was taken by trumpeter Ray Nance. Otherwise, everybody else was exactly the same as I mentioned. And we heard four tunes with the Johnny Hodges ensemble, with, of course, Mr. Hodges, one of the most elegant voices of the alto saxophone. And the first tune was a Hodges composition called Squatty Rue. The second tune was written by Billy Strayhorn, the very pretty Passion Flower. And then Mercer Ellington's Great Blues. Um, Mercer, of course, was Duke's son, and he wrote a tune called Things Ain't What They Used To Be. And then the final tune was by Johnny Hodges, called Going Out the Back Way. So, we gave you this music by these two um, people who were involved in Duke Ellington's band. And uh, some great music recorded in Hollywood, July 3rd, 1941. Hope you enjoyed that little throwback. And... Uh, we're going to do one more by a, a more modern alto saxophonist, someone who uh, um, was really a disciple of Charlie Parker, but he got into some good jazz, funky music too. And uh, he, he did a lot of albums like this. We're going to hear a tune by Lou Donaldson, Papa Lou, who is still alive. He's 86 years old, going on 87, and he's still playing, still feisty as ever. We hear him here. Uh, with Blue Mitchell on trumpet, Dr. Lonnie Smith on the Hammond organ, Melvin Sparks on guitar, Jimmy Lewis on the Fender bass, and the great Idris Mohammed on drums. And this is a tune uh, written by a guy named Peter Hampton. 
And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's danceable, and it's fun. It's going to lead us into our jazz feature. I hope you enjoy a little change of pace here. It's called Hamp's Hump.
<laughs> That's called Hamp's Hump, written by a guy named Peter Hampton. Who knows who he is? But anyway, a uh, funky little riff, especially uh, played by the bass. And, uh, you know... That's kind of good for moving your body around and getting into some dancing, you know, because it's got that natural, that natural feel. And of course, that was Papa Lou Donaldson on alto saxophone, Blue Mitchell on trumpet, Dr. Lonnie Smith on the Hammond organ, Melvin Sparks on the guitar, Jimmy Lewis on the Fender bass, and the great Idris Mohammed on drums. Some funky jazz from uh, an album by Lou Donaldson called Everything I Play is Funky. And, um, Hamp's Hump. There you go. Leading us, uh, we're going to get into the jazz feature in just a very few moments. Just like to tell you uh, once again that uh, this program, The Jazz Show, is sponsored by the TD International Vancouver Jazz Festival 2014. And we're very happy to be sponsored by them for the month of June. And, of course, uh, the Jazz Festival is really right around the corner, and there's lots of things happening. And um, the easiest thing to do, because we had our Jazz Festival show last week with the uh, media director, my uh, worthy constituent and good friend, uh, John Orsick, uh, we covered the, a lot of things in the Jazz Festival um, last week. And the best thing to do is get on to their website, which is banjazz.ca. And uh, that'll take you to their website. You'll see all the concerts. Not only that, you'll, um, you'll see where to purchase tickets, uh, where the venues are, all the information, all the pertinent information. Um, to the Jazz Festival is on that site. So that's bandjazz.ca. Or another website which will take you to the same thing is coastaljazz.ca. And, um, but during the Jazz Festival, they like you to go on to vanjazz.ca. There you go. So you have two choices. And, of course, another fine website, uh, and you can also get um, the festival schedule on that website. That's the website of uh, Brian Nation. He keeps it up to date. There's all sorts of other links on there where you can check out uh, things uh, on that site. You can spend a lot of time there. That's VancouverJazz.com. Com. And uh, those two websites are, are really relevant and important to uh, finding out what's going on in our fine city as regards jazz music. And uh, because we don't have uh, Corey Weed's uh, cellar anymore, which was kind of like a focal point, uh, jazz is happening in different places um, at different times, and it's always best to get onto the website. For instance, um, Saturday afternoons has become very popular. It's a freebie. Uh, you, you're not obligated. There's no admission, um, and the food is really good, and and uh, uh, a large selection of quality beers. Pat's Pub, uh, which, of course, is in the old Patricia Hotel uh, down in the downtown east side, and uh, it's actually, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I don't know about that going down there. You know, it, it really is. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's, it's probably a lot safer than a lot of places that you can go. And there's all kinds of uh, very, very inexpensive parking around there. And it's quite safe. 
really is. And, um, the, the, the pub is really nice as well, very comfortable, and it's become a very popular event. And it goes on every Saturday afternoon from, uh, three to seven. And some of the finest musicians, uh, in Vancouver play at Pat's Pub. So that's, a, that's one of the venues. And of course, jazz pops up here and there and everywhere. So it's best to get on, uh, uh the websites that I mentioned and, uh, scan around, check it out. And uh, you'll find what you want to do and where you want to go. One more thing, my friend Ken Speller, who is a wonderful repairman, woodwind instruments, saxophones, clarinets, flutes, etc. It doesn't matter what level you are on those instruments. Um, Professional, student, um, amateur, dabbler, whatever. uh, You really have to have... A good instrument in good shape. And uh, uh, woodwind instruments with all the keys and stuff like that uh, that are, you know, governed by springs and um, pads, all this sort of stuff, uh, levers, <laughs> all have to be in tip-top shape, oiled and uh, optimum condition. So they do require uh, maintenance. And uh, one of the things that Ken Speller will do is put your instrument in tip-top shape. If it needs an overhaul, he can do that. Uh, if it needs just a few things, he can do all that. And um, he's very reasonable in terms of his prices because he works from home. His workshop is right in his home. So he doesn't have that store overhead. So check him out. He's at 13th and Lonsdale area in North Vancouver. And his phone number is 778-800-1933, or reach him by email, kspeller, K-S-P-E-L-L-E-R underscore 14 at yahoo.ca, kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. That's how you can get hold of Ken, and he's a good man to know, especially if you are a musician of whatever level. All right, our jazz feature tonight is the great Illinois Jacquette. Jean-Baptiste Illinois Jacquette was born in Broussard, Louisiana, of a musical family. His dad was a musician, um, he, a fairly large family, but he had two other brothers that played, uh, Brother Linton, who played drums, and Brother Russell, who played the trumpet. And Illinois was kind of the prodigy of the family. He took to the saxophone. Uh, Illinois was uh, a product of, uh, I guess in those days, kind of a mixed marriage. His mother was uh, a full-blooded Sioux um, Native Indian. And uh, his dad was a a Creole. Uh, And, of course, uh, being a Creole, he would be mixed uh, Spanish, uh, African-American combination. And... um, they moved out of uh, Louisiana uh, when uh, Illinois was a young man, and he was raised in, actually raised and went to school in Houston and learned his saxophone skills then. At 17, he was playing with Lionel Hampton's band, which was one of the top bands in the country. And in 1942, at 17, he recorded a, a tenor saxophone solo on a famous Hampton uh, recording, a hit recording for Lionel called Flyin' Home. And the tenor saxophone solo was done by 17-year-old Illinois Jacquette. 
and that has been one of the most imitated of all tenor saxophone solos in the whole history of jazz music. And uh, whether you play R&B, people like Clarence Clemens uh, copied from Illinois Jaquette. He was extremely influential. And unfortunately, he was kind of overlooked by the critics. And uh, he is one of the true greats of the tenor saxophone. And uh, um, the critics kind of dismissed Illinois Jaquette as being a little bit of a showboater and, uh, and, and um, uh, that sort of thing, a crowd pleaser. Uh, but the thing is, on investigation of Jaquette's records, you will find musicality at its highest. Uh, Jaquette, yes, he was outgoing. Yes, he could be extrovertish, but he was always incredibly musical and with a very, very sophisticated harmonic sense. But also the sound that he got from the saxophone, from the tenor saxophone, is something unequaled. A beautiful, big, uh, sensuous sound. Uh, when he played uh, softer, and the sound could just, when he was playing something more aggressive, it could just roar. And uh, you'll hear that sound on this particular date. This is one of his finest dates. It was done during the time he was a member of Norman Grant's um, touring jam session show, Jazz at the Philharmonic. And uh, Mr. Jaquette went into the studio with an all-star band and recorded this, I think, is his finest album. My only objection to this album is that it's too short. It's only 35 minutes, but it uh, contains some of the finest Jaquette on record. It's called Swings the Thing, and it features Illinois on tenor saxophone, along with the great voice of the trumpet, Little Jazz himself, Roy Eldridge. On piano, one of the most tasteful accompanists ever, no relation to Hank Jones and that family, Jimmy Jones on piano. And every singer, um, all the singers wanted Jimmy Jones as an accompanist. Sarah Vaughn got up for a few years, but he was a very busy man. Uh, he's the pianist on here, Jimmy Jones. On guitar, the wonderful Herb Ellis. And on bass, the great Ray Brown. And on drums, Papa Joe Jones. And this was recorded in Los Angeles, October 16th, 1956. And a great selection of tunes. We open with one written by Roy Eldridge, a nice relaxed start. It's called The Las Vegas Blues. The second tune uh, is a very, very famous tune associated really with, uh, it's usually played in a very kind of raunchy style because it's been associated with strippers for so long, but it's got a gorgeous melody and a very sensuous melody, very beautiful, and Jaquette plays it as almost a ballad, and it comes out, uh, it's just a wonderful interpretation of the very famous Harlem Nocturne. Then uh, we get back to a great standard tune um, written by Kay Swift and Paul James called Can't We Be Friends. Then we go to the most, uh, uh, tune number four is the most exciting track on the album. It's an original by uh, Illinois Jaquette and it's called Achtung. And um, then we go to a, another beautiful version of a Richard Rogers 
Lorenz Hart tune called Have You Met Miss Jones, played beautifully by Jaquette. And the set closes with another great standard tune called Lullaby of the Leaves. So here then, in its entirety, this wonderful album, our jazz feature this evening by Monsieur Illinois Jaquette, one of the premier voices of the tenor saxophone, Swings the Thing. Thank you. 
Our jazz feature this evening, a wonderful album called Swings the Thing by the great hero of the tenor saxophone, Illinois Jaquette. One of his finest albums, recorded October 16th, 1956, when he was um, a full-fledged member of uh, Norman Grant's traveling jam session called Jazz at the Philharmonic. And uh, we heard Monsieur Jaquette uh, in the company of, stellar company of Roy Eldridge, Little Jazz on trumpet, and on guitar, the wonderful Herb Ellis, and on piano, Jimmy Jones, and on bass, the great Ray Brown, and on drums, the irrepressible and wonderful Papa Joe Jones. And uh, Illinois Jaquette, possessing one of those, that great sensuous uh, tenor saxophone sound. And, of course, uh, his beautifully uh, melodic and swinging concept on the tenor saxophone. And we heard him in a variety of tunes, beginning with the Roy Eldridge original called the Las Vegas Blues. Then we moved to uh, a very respectful and wonderful version of a tune which has been sort of uh, overplayed and over-dramatized and uh, uh, done badly over the years. He brought back the beautiful, um, haunting melody of uh, and treated it with the utmost respect, Earl Hagen's classic, Harlem Nocturne. And that was tune number two. And then a nice relaxed version of a standard called Can't We Be Friends. And then the most exciting track on the album, which was written by Mr. Jaquette and called Achtung. And uh, then we move to another delightful version of a fine old standard by Rogers and Hart called Have You Met Miss Jones? And we closed with another standard called Lullaby of the Leaves. And as I said, my only regret about this album is that it's too short, 35 minutes or so, and uh, it's one of uh, Illinois Jaquette's finest albums. It's called Swings the Thing. We hope you enjoyed the jazz feature this week. Uh, Our show continues. Uh, We'd just like to remind you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on... uh, your computer, www.citr.ca. And uh, we'll be back right after this very brief message. Become a friend of CITR and get great discounts downtown at 212 Productions, Beach Street Records, Blim, Dream Apparel, The Fall Tattooing, The Kiss Store, Heart and Soul Clothing, Inc., Hits Boutique, Pacific Cinematheque, Scratch Records, Final Records, Woo Vintage Clothing, and Zoo Shop. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To learn more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or check us out online at citr.ca. Interestingly enough, uh, Charles Lloyd... Is, uh, is coming to this year's Jazz Festival. As uh, you heard, if you listened to our show last week, Charles Lloyd will be performing at the uh, Vogue Theatre. 
and uh, it's a, going to be a sought-after concert. And um, he'll be playing Friday, June the 27th, at the Vogue Theater with his uh, quartet. Now, Charles Lloyd's had a long history in jazz music. He, he's originally from Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, he really came to fame. Uh, he had worked around the Los Angeles area, but he came to fame fame with the uh, Chico Hamilton Quintet uh, as they sounded uh, in the early 60s. Uh, Eric Dolphy had left the Quintet to live in New York and join Charles Mingus and carry on with his own career, and he was replaced by Charles Lloyd, um, who was, uh, of course, uh, played tenor saxophone, sometimes alto saxophone, and flute in, uh, in Chico Hamilton's band, and of course uh, contributed mightily to Mr. Hamilton's repertoire. Then Lloyd um, moved to New York and uh, joined Cannonball Adderley's um, sextet, one of the most famous uh, bands in jazz at that time. Youssef Latif had just left the band to form his uh, own group, and his uh, replacement was Charles Lloyd, um, and he joined on uh, flute and tenor saxophone. And um, he Lloyd was with uh, Cannonball for... Not a long period. They actually came and played here in Vancouver in 1964 and uh, with, with Charles, um, and uh, this organization played here. But um, their recordings were uh, not uh, a lot while Lloyd was a member. And then, of course, he left to form his own band and carry on with his own career. And Cannonball went back to a quintet rather than a sextet, and never hired another horn player. But um, there are some good examples of uh, Charles Lloyd with uh, Cannonball Adderley's band, and we're going to hear a couple before um, we uh, close the show this evening. And we're going to go back to the half note in New York City, January 29th, 1965, and hear a, um, a staple, which, of course, was written by Brother Nat Adderley, one of the most famous tunes that he wrote. This one's called Work Song, and it features Cannonball Adderley, the leader on alto saxophone, Nat, as I mentioned, on cornet, and he wrote the tune, Charles Lloyd on tenor saxophone, and Joe Zavanul on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Louis Hayes on drums. And we're going to listen to the Work Song.
My brother Nat seems to constantly be able to come up with little things that are attractive. Here's his newest. It's a tune that's called The Little Boy with the Sad Eyes. Sad Eyes. I, I don't think I'll go into it right now, but it's a pretty mean story. You have to dig it.
That's the little boy with the sad eyes, written by my brother Matt. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. And thank you, Cannonball Adderley. Mr. Adderley with his sextet with Charles Lloyd, featured on tenor saxophone and flute, and a couple of tunes from this uh, edition of the Cannonball Adderley sextet. And there's not a lot of this uh, on record. Lloyd didn't stay with the band all that long. He left Cannonball um, on good terms and formed his uh, own band and continued with his own career right up to today, and he'll be appearing at this year's Jazz Festival, as I mentioned before, at the Vogue Theater. Charles Lloyd, one of the great legends of the uh, saxophone and flute, and uh, a true man about music. And originally from Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, played with Chico Hamilton, played with Cannonball Adderley, and of course carried on with his own legendary career. And he's coming here which is great. Anyway, that was the Cannonball Adderley Sextet, and we heard two pieces of music by them. Um, We heard, of course, Julian Cannonball Adderley on alto saxophone, Brother Nat on cornet, Charles Lloyd, as I mentioned, on tenor saxophone and uh, flute, Joe Zavanul on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Lewis Hayes on drums. First tune we heard was Work Song, written by Nat Adderley, one of his most famous tunes. And the second one was written by Nat as well, and a beautiful thing, uh, very different piece of music called The Little Boy with the Sad Eyes. And, uh, yeah, that's it for the jazz show for... This Monday and, of course, this early Tuesday morning, we'd like to uh, just remind you that uh, all this month, the jazz show will be sponsored by the TD International Jazz Festival. And, of course, that takes place on June the 20th till July 1st, one of the biggest and most well-attended cultural events in Vancouver. All kinds of free stuff, as well as uh, ticketed items and uh, it, uh, you can become a part of the jazz festival, whether you're uh, a millionaire or whether you're just struggling along on uh, minimum wage because uh, there's always room for you at the jazz festival. And on behalf of the jazz show and myself, Gavin Walker, thank you very much for being out there this evening. And we'll be back next Monday with uh, another three hours plus um, devoted to this great music that we know as jazz music. So take care, and we'll see you in seven days' time. Bye-bye. Ba-do-ba-dee-oo-doo-wee